Jesus is testing Philip along with us today. Here's Pastor Ed Ray with more. And he should have been thinking, get this, supernaturally. I'm with Jesus. He's healing people. He's raising people from the dead, for heaven's sakes. And he wants to know where we can buy some bread. He's thinking practically. He's not thinking spiritually. He should have suspected that Jesus was going to do something supernatural. Do you expect Jesus to do something supernatural in your life when you have a need? That's a big part of the story for them and for you and me. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing, Hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your love. Approximately 15,000 hungry people and just five loaves and two fish. The disciples of Christ saw this as a problem, but Jesus had the provision. Welcome to Grow in Grace. Today, Pastor Ed Ray points out our inadequacy as well as God's sufficiency. Some important ministry principles are headed your way, and I think you'll benefit greatly from it. With God, all things are possible. And the story we're about to look at underscores that truth. So let's join Pastor Ed now in John chapter 6 for today's Grow in Grace. John chapter 6, verse 1. John writes, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here, a young boy, who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, the number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves that were left over, those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we so thank you for your word. 
we know you intend for us to grow as we study it and look at it, grow in faith and grow in understanding of you and your heart. So speak to us now, change us, make us more like you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about food here right before lunch. I have a friend, Pastor, who is a season ticket holder, L.A. Dodger fan, and he thought it would be great to start his son at about seven years old by taking him to a Dodger game. And uh, he's got the great seats, and he brought his son. The son really wasn't interested in baseball, and, uh, but he was interested in hot dogs, and he began to eat Dodger dogs, and, and he ordered, I don't know, several of them for him, and then the kid wanted popcorn, and gave him popcorn, and then he wanted caramel corn, he got, got that, and then he wanted a candy bar, and pretty soon he'd eaten his way through to the seventh inning. At the seventh inning, the Dodgers were losing as usual, and the fans all but left, except this guy and his son. And there was another guy sitting about two seats away. And he turned to him and he said, wow, you're going to stick around? Why are you staying? He said, I want to see how much a little boy really can eat. He was still eating his way through it. Most of us like to eat. In today's passage, it's a fascinating miracle surrounding food. It's commonly called the feeding of the 5,000, but that's probably not accurate because there were women and children there too, but in that day, they numbered the heads of the household. It's the only miracle that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, so the Holy Spirit must think it important enough that we study it four times as we read through the New Testament. There are a lot of other miracles that are mentioned in three of the Gospels or two of the Gospels, But this is the only one that's mentioned in all four of them. This account uh, has details that the other three leaved out. John was there, he watched it happen, and obviously was greatly impressed with it. He wrote down this in three parts. The first section is a pursuit of the crowd, verse two verses, and then three through 10, the problem, what it was that was going on as Jesus taught there on the side of the mountain, And then how God provided, as he always does, for the needs of the people. This is actually a picture of the disciples' training. They were in training just like you and I. None of us arrive here on planet Earth. God is in the process of teaching us along the way. And that teaching comes in various forms. Sometimes it's formally like sitting in a service like this. But faith comes because faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so we spend a lot of time studying God's word around here, hoping that all of us will grow in the process to become his disciples as he's doing here. So it's really about Jesus providing and the disciples dispensing, which is kind of a key to what our lives are to be about, that Jesus gives to us so that we can give to others. Now, I'm not just talking about financial things. I'm talking about your ability to describe your relationship with God to others and how that's how most of us came to an understanding of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Somebody else told us about their trip and it sounded strangely attractive to us. So they're in training. They are in the Galilee region around the lake, as verse one says. After these things, all the things that are in the first five chapters that we looked at, we haven't been in this book for several, actually months now, because some idiot ran a red light and tried to kill me out here on a corner. 
And I'm sitting here with two broken arms and six broken ribs and a concussion. And so you, I'm not responsible for what I say. But we're, by God's grace, we're healing. So he calls it Galilee and Tiberius because John is writing as an old man. He's 90 years old and he is probably in Asia Minor in the city of Ephesus where the book of Ephesians comes from. And that's what tradition tells us. That's where he went after the resurrection of Jesus. So he's living in a Roman colony and there's not many Jews there. So he's explaining these things. It was Galilee to the Jew. It was Tiberius to the Romans. That's the reason for two different names here. It is a stunningly beautiful lake, lowest in the world, and it is very warm around it. It's very much like Redlands, maybe a little more humid, a little more tropical. Verse 2, then a great multitude followed Jesus because they saw his signs which he formed on those who were diseased. So he's doing miracles, and it's a present perfect tense which just means that it's, he's constantly doing it. It's not, okay, we're going to take an hour and I'm going to heal some people. He's walking along the road and healing people. And so this group of people are following him, many of whom probably were healed themselves or a family member or a husband or wife or something, and kids. And so they're all following Jesus. And the crowd is growing. Mark tells us they came as far away as Damascus, Syria, which is several hundred miles north. So he's drawing people to Israel so they can hear him speak and to watch the miracles that are going on. He's tired. His disciples are tired, we're told in Mark uh, chapter 6. And uh, they're looking for a break. And so Jesus tells them they're going to go across the Sea of Galilee and they're going to go near the town of Bethesda, which is in the northeastern side of the lake. It's a very beautiful, physically beautiful place. And they are needing rest. Needing rest makes us vulnerable. When we're tired, when we're fatigued, then a test comes in our life. And we sometimes have a hair trigger, uh, maybe something like that. And so we need to be careful. We need to know ourselves, know what we're vulnerable to and not allow ourselves to be exposed to too much pressure when we're feeling tired. Just go take a nap. Everybody will like you better, that kind of thing. That's what they're looking for. They're going across the lake so that they're going to have a little rest. But it's Passover, verse 4 tells us, the Feast of the Jews. And again, he's explaining it to the readers in Ephesus who were Romans. Passover comes in the springtime. It was just three weeks ago. It's usually about Easter time, a little before, a little after. And so it's a beautiful time of year in Israel. It's very much like Southern California climate-wise. Around the Sea of Galilee, it's a little more humid, and there's banana uh, trees, and they raise pineapples, and citrus fruit, and avocados, and say, I'm making you hungry. And you're thinking, when is he going to finish? His lunch is coming. And uh, so they're in a beautiful spot. And it's the springtime. And uh, Jesus lifted up his eyes. He looks up and he sees this crowd coming in verse 5. A great multitude coming towards them. And he says to Philip, 
we know from the other gospel in Matthew that Philip is from this area around Bethesda. So he says to Philip, where can we buy bread that these may eat? Where's the nearest bakery to feed five, eight, maybe 10,000 people? Philip is blown away and he doesn't know what to say. But Jesus asks him, not because he doesn't know, it's so that Philip could be strengthened, tested. And God is doing that in our lives all the time. He said to him, verse six, to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. He is from that area, and he should have been thinking, get this, supernaturally. I'm with Jesus, he's healing people. He's raising people from the dead, for heaven's sakes. And he wants to know where we can buy some bread. It'll be 2,000 years before McDonald's is here. What are we gonna do? He's thinking practically. He's not thinking spiritually. He should have suspected that Jesus was gonna do something supernatural. Do you expect Jesus to do something supernatural in your life when you have a need? That's a big part of the story for them and for you and me, that we are looking at the circumstances. Now, I'm a pragmatist and, and so is Philip evidently. And he said to test him these things. Pragmatists are usually control freaks and they want things to make sense, to be done in a very natural way before we do it. You find yourself struggling with trust but does God really do anything supernatural? Yeah, I can't see a way out of this, but I'm gonna to have to do it on my own. That's what Philip has fallen into, that trap. And God wants him to see that. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace. He's covering John 6 today, and we left off at verse seven. Verse seven, so Philip answers Jesus, 200 denarii worth of bread. That's like a six or seven month labor's wages. It's a large amount of money. It's not sufficient for them so that everyone could have even a, a little piece. What do you mean, where can we get it? There's no even bakeries there. It's a very small village. There isn't any way. And if we had the money, which we don't have, then it would be difficult to find the place. Testing is a normal part of life. I spent the first 26 years of my life as a scientist, and that's a very important part of science. Is a test reproducible anywhere in the world under the same atmospheric conditions? Testing is done on all sorts of areas, engineering and mechanical areas that are unrelated actually to science. In 1933, if you're familiar with the area around San Diego, as you go east from San Diego up the 8 freeway, there's a, an off-ramp there for Goat Canyon. If you get a chance, you have some time in that area, go to Goat Canyon because in 1933 they were building the Arizona Railway, and you've never heard of it because it didn't make it. But uh, it was a difficult part to get to Yuma before the freeway was there, and they had to build a bridge across Goat Canyon. There it is. It's the largest wooden bridge ever built in the world. It's 750, 47 feet uh, long and almost 500 feet in the air. 
So it's a gigantic wooden trestle. And when they finished it, the man who was the head of construction, the superintendent, told the engineer to load up the train that they had been using to bring supplies out to the canyon with twice as much weight as he anticipated the train would ever carry across the trestle. And the engineer said, what are you trying to break the, the trestle? And the guy said, no, I want to test it so you'll be confident even if you overload the train, it can hold the weight. That's a normal part of science. That's a normal part of the kingdom of God. God trusts, he trusts us with a test. And it's for us. It's a pop quiz. How are we doing? You know, I hated pop quizzes in, in school and when I was teaching. You're not really prepared. In fact, you don't even know it's coming. And it's so that the teacher can tell if you're listening or not. We're going to pass out a pop quiz right now. On the, I'm lying. And I saw terror slip across a few people's faces. Where shall we buy by bread? Panic? Yeah. He's completely overwhelmed. But there's another disciple who joins in. Verse 6. Another of his disciples, Andrew, who is Simon Peter's brother. Peter's brother is going to take up the teacher's pop quiz, Jesus' quiz. And he was also, we're told in the Gospel of John, from Bethsaida, the same general area. So there's a lad here, he says, who has five barley loaves and two fish. First time I read this, I thought of, you know, giant Italian sourdough bread and, and maybe a couple of yellow-tailed fish, huge. No, this is the word for a English muffin in a tiny tiny fish, like a minnow size. They, they do grow in the Sea of Galilee. And so it's made out of oats and barley. And those are the rough grains rather than wheat, which is smooth. And so this is not a wealthy family. He's brought barley loaves and two small fish, small fry. And Andrew was practiced in bringing people to Jesus. As soon as he heard, saw Jesus, he brought his brother Peter. And we get a little further along here in the next chapter, and he meets some Greeks, and they say, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And so Andrew took them there. He has brought his brother, he brought these Greeks, and now he's bringing this little boy to Jesus, who doesn't have very much. Barley, of course, coarsest, roughest kind of food, used for cattle still to this day. But God likes for us to use what we have in our hands. Well, I don't have very much. God doesn't ask for a lot. Well, I, I don't have a personal fortune. This little boy is eating bread made out of cattle food. And, uh, but I don't have a graduate degree. This kid's uneducated, except for the synagogue. I, I don't know the right people or have the right connections. God doesn't care. He doesn't require you or I to be born into the right family. We bring what we have. And he says, I can use that. I'll take that. And I'll make something good from it. You see, we are not the producers of spiritual things. We are only the distributors. That's a key to this whole lesson. That we don't manufacture spiritual things. God does. But then he puts them in our hands and we're to give them away. That's how he's reaching the world. Example of that is George Mueller. 
Mueller was a man who started creating orphanages in the 1800s in England. And he built more than 117 orphanages, and he educated more than 120,000 orphans over a 12-year period. So he was a man who lived by faith, though. He didn't think it proper to ask anybody for financial aid. He didn't have any radio commercials, didn't have any television commercials. He didn't hit people up for money. He just prayed. Wow, what a concept. And he asked God to supply. One of the most famous stories about Mueller I love is he was in Bristol where he had a large orphanage and they ran out of milk for the next morning and the kids all ate porridge for breakfast. And so he got all the staff together and said, we need to pray that God would supply the milk for the kids. They don't have anything for breakfast. And so they get on the knees early in the morning. They're praying before the kids got up and there's a knock at the door. And so he opens the door and there's a man standing in all white. And he said, I've got a bunch of milk. He said, really? He says, yeah, my cart's broken down. This is before refrigeration. So he's got a wagon with a broken wheel. And he says, I'm not going to be able to get this fixed and get it to the place I'm going in time. The milk's going to all spoil. I hear this is an orphanage. Do you need any milk? He said, we were just talking to God about that. Thanks. I just love that he didn't tell anybody else except God. He was doing God's work, God's way, with God's provision. God's work, doing it God's way, not cutting corners or trying to manipulate the thing, and then God will provide. You're sitting in a building like that. We didn't ask. We did ask the owner of it if he would sell it to us. This goes back a number of years ago, 25 years ago. And he told us the price, and uh, that was way more than we had, so we made him an offer. But at the same time, we didn't realize that there was a woman, a developer, a real estate lady, who had who heard about our offer, and she came and she offered him more than twice what we were offering. So, of course, the guy sold it to her. Then she came to us and tried to get us to buy it from her uh, for three times more than what she paid for it. And uh, I said, you know what, it's not even tempting because we just don't have the money. We're waiting on God to supply. We said, well, I'm gonna put a lock in store there. Well, praise God, there's nothing we can do about it. So you could be sitting amongst RVs right now and somebody's old stuff taken out of their garage. But you're not, you're sitting in a church. Because about four and a half years later, she got caught in a real estate swindle and she went to prison. Some of you from this area know who I'm talking about. A rather well-known lady, a developer. And she started changing the title on title deeds. Got caught, went to prison. Not very long after she went to prison, I didn't know she was in prison, I get a call from a guy in Orange County. And he's a developer, but he's a believer. And he said, well, I was at a tax sale buying a different piece of property. And I saw that the property next to you went up for sale. And it was real cheap, so I bought it. He said, and then when I got all the paperwork, I see that you made the original owner an offer uh, five years ago. And he said, but I didn't pay very much for it, so I'll sell it to you for 10 cents on the dollar. What you offered, one-tenth. So we're sitting in a building that God gave. God's work, God's way, God's provision. Thanks for listening to Grow in Grace as we continue our journey through the New Testament. 
Today's message from Pastor Ed Ray is a part of our study in John's Gospel, and you can hear it again at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find all of our recently aired programs right there at thepackinghouse.org, as well as an archive of Pastor Ed's messages. We're also on YouTube, and that's a great way to live stream our services or watch recently delivered messages. Search for Packing House Christian Fellowship, and if you prefer to have a CD copy of today's message, just call toll-free 844-77-GRACE. Again, we're here to serve you at 844-77-GRACE. As we continue to get the word out on stations like this all across the nation, we're looking to our listeners for help. Even a small donation can have a large impact by God's grace. And whatever comes in goes straight to the ministry. When you support Grow in Grace with a gift of any amount today, be sure to request our featured resource. It's a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. This is a no-compromise call to biblical revival and spiritual excellence that we all need to hear. You'll see the great disparity between today's church and the Church of Acts. Again, we're making it available for a gift of any amount. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your 